Amen. Father God, I just thank you for that truth. I thank you that you did bear the cross. And you did it on purpose for a purpose. And that was to defeat the sting of sin and death. And to bring new life by your resurrection power. And Lord, I do pray that we would be reminded of the power of your grace. Not just the goodness, although that is overwhelming, but the power of your grace. That the story that you've been telling from a garden is to bring us back to life in a garden. And Lord, I pray that that we would just be a people who are constantly looking forward to that time, even as we live drawing strength from your grace in this time. May that be true as we continue to worship you in your word this morning. And I pray that it would all be to conform us into the beautiful image of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have given, have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brandy. You may be seated. Find that passage that Brandy just read, um, Romans chapter 12. We are in this series that we're calling Righteousness Revealed in the Gospel of Romans. And right before Paul says those words that Brandy just read, he says these words, For from him and through him and to him are all things. Who's the him? For from him and through him and to him are all the things. Who's the him? Jesus, we're a participatory church. I want some responses, right? We're not just going to sit here and spectate this morning. We're going to get after it like we did last week. So, guys, it is Jesus. From, and, and who are the all things? Us, right? All things is all things, and that includes you, right? So, so the power of the gospel is alive in you if he is alive in you, and he saved you on purpose for a purpose and that purpose is to bring him glory the question that one of the questions we're going to talk about today is are you living your life for the glory of the one who gave you life like really that's Paul has been talking in this in the first 11 chapters of of the book of Romans about what the gospel is about how what the gospel is it is it is the power to bring life from death now he's, turning the te- now he's turning the page in what we call chapter 12, and he's saying, so in light of the fact that he brought you to life, are you living your life for his 
glory. So that leads us to our first talking points question, and, and it's just it's one we had last week, so it should be familiar. What is a reasonable response to the like to the to the, our salvation, to the fact that God has saved us, to the fact that you have been brought from death to life? What is our reasonable response to that? Worship. worship. In a word, that word is worship. What does worship look like? Praying. What? Praying. Praying. Did you say praying or pray? Praying. Okay, good. Reading his word. What's thankfulness? Service. Service. Fellowship. I heard singing. Yeah, music. I mean, what we just did, that was like in music, that was worship. It's not, so I don't want to exclude that, but it is certainly more than that. The definition I heard years ago that is it's worship is anytime we are doing anything where we are setting our mind's attention and our heart's affection on him. If you are setting your mind's attention and your heart's affection on him and you are bringing him praise for who he is and what he's done, you are worshiping. And that can be, you can be doing that anytime, any place, doing almost anything. Right, if you're setting your mind's attention and heart's affection on Him, now, one of the things that, that I asked, I, I teach some classes at Arizona Christian University, and, and one of the things I asked my class this week is we're kind of launching from the Old Testament into the New Testament, and sort of I got to thinking about it even for us today. Is I just wanted to stop for a minute as we're telling God's story. So as Paul told God's story in Romans one through eleven, as we as we launch into chapter twelve and beyond in the coming weeks, I wanted to stop and ask you a couple of questions. I'm not asking for answers out loud. I'm not asking for answers out loud. I want you to just stop and think about this. Who are you? Who are you? Where did you come from? So isn't it it cool that God put it on Jeff's heart to lead us into this conversation about identity, even as part of our prayer time? Who are you? Where did you come from? Where are you going? Guys, these are great questions to be asking the people that you're engaged with that are not among us. Right? We all hopefully know people, interact with people that are not among us, that are not Christians, they are not part of the family of God. Be asking them these questions. Because the reason I was asking these questions to my students at ACU is because many of them do not know Jesus. And I want them to stop and pause and say, so who are you? Where did you come from? Where are you going? What is your purpose? Why are you here? Not just here at ACU, not just here at Cross Train Church. Why are you here on this planet? Guys, we were made for something so much bigger than us. Our lives were given to us. Our new life in Christ was given to us for something so much bigger than just us. But we, but we rarely stop and ask these kinds of like life questions. Like We rarely stop and go, so what's the point? What's the point? What's the point of my life? Like even in your own, even in your own individual life, how, in your own career path, let's say, how often do we stop? We have young people in the room that are, that are at different seasons of transitioning from, from like different, like from child to young adult, young adult to adult, career path. Do, do you ever stop and ask the question, but really, what am I, what's the point of my life? And ultimately, the answer to that question is to point to Christ. The one who gave the, for from him and through him and to him are all things. 
So are we, are, but, but if we don't, we can, we can often just sort of check that box and go, yeah, I get that, Doug, but now, I'm in a, now I need to live my life because tomorrow is coming. Without stopping and going, but is what I'm doing today really in light of, or am I even using a lens of, but it's ultimately to bring him glory tomorrow and the next day and the next day and every day until he comes again because that's ultimately the point and and guys we need to be we need to provide a space as a church as a fa- as the family of God here and when we're gathered in other places where we are inviting people to ask those questions some of you are sitting here today and your answer to those questions are i don't know or maybe I have an idea, but I bet it's not the answer he's looking for. And, 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 and that's okay. Guys, here's the thing. That's okay. This is the place to come to talk about that. And yet this is probably the last place most people would come to talk about that, to come and ask the question. If, if you're sitting here today and you're a young person and you're starting to wonder if, if you really believe what mom and dad taught you all those years, this is the place to sit and talk about that. If not here, where? Right? And so, so we, have to, we have to create an environment together that would invite that kind of conversation. And that's ultimately what we're going to be talking about today. So we're in this part of, um, of our Romans series where we're talking about the right righteousness revealed, where we're talking about the reality of righteousness. Like, what, like, like how do we make righteousness real like how do we how do we manifest it in the world last week we talked about how do we manifest it like in our own lives now we're going to look at how do we manifest it how do we make it real in the body of christ so how do we together make that like the reality of of the righteousness of god real and so what we're so last week's question was are you ready to worship this week's question is are you ready to worship together Okay, your pastor's not that creative. I didn't come up with a whole new question, but this is, I'm just adding, but I'm adding a really important part. The reason it's in all caps is because it's really important. We're going to be talking about how together we can do things that not a single one of us individually can never do. And that's what the body, the church is. So what he's going to show, what Paul's going to show us in these eight verses, two of which we covered last week, is he's going to show us that the way we can worship together is that we are supposed to, you are supposed to live your transformed life, unified with other people, but also embracing the diversity or the differences that are the mess that we are. Right? That, that's what he's going to show us in these eight, eight verses that we're going to look at today. So with that, let's take a look at our first point. So, so are you ready to worship together? The first thing, the only way we can be really worshipers together is if you are living your transformed life. So let's look at the first couple of verses. We, we talked, we, that's all we looked at last week, so I'm not going to spend much time on this. But Paul is now transitioning from, here's what the gospel is, to here's what the gospel does, and it's not coincidental that, that he's that the hinge that Romans swings on is, is reminding us that you have to hold on to the power of the gospel. You cannot live out all the things he's going to tell us in chapters 12 through 16 unless you hold on to the stuff he taught us in chapters 1 through 11. So, in cha- so the first thing is, how do you live your transformed life? Well, look at verses 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, or I beg you, 
Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because of the gospel, because of what I've just written to you about, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be constantly in the process of being transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing, that by the testing of your, that you, I'm sorry, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Guys, the way we looked at this last week is we talked about, when we talked about verse one, we talked about how, how do we present our bodies a living sacrifice? And we talked about what are the things that we have to constantly be letting go of? Like, and we hung, that's what all those white cards are on the cross. And I want to, I want to, guys, that is not a one-time, a one-off deal. Your salvation, you're confessing your need for Jesus, and your salvation is a one-off deal. But the constant process of confessing our weaknesses, of having to let go of the junk I just keep picking back up, that is an ongoing process, and that is clear throughout Scripture. When John says in 1 John 1, 9 that we are to confess our sins, it's, an, it's not we confessed them, it is we are constantly confessing them. Not so that we'll get saved again, we're, we are already saved, but it's so that we'll be freed again. We'll be reminded of the freedom that his sacrifice paid already. So we talked last week about this idea of like how do we just keep letting go? It's not about behavior, it's about being. And, and we can't grab a hold of Christ if our hands are already so full of other stuff. So some of that stuff isn't even inherently bad stuff. It can even actually be good stuff. But if that stuff, the good stuff, has become a heart-controlling stuff, then it's an idol. Your marriage can be an idol. Your family can be an idol. Your health can be an idol. Your finances can be an idol. Your grades in school, young people, can be an idol. Well, those things, if, if, they're, if, if, if any of those things are being put in front of your pursuit of Jesus, by definition, it's an idol, and we're not living verse 1. So, that first, so, so verse 1, last week we talked about letting go. You can listen to that message online um, or, or on the podcast. Now, in verse 2, we talked about how we need to then, so we're not conformed to the behavior that's what he means by the pattern of this world. But he doesn't say, so be conformed to the behavior of Christ. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not about stop living like the world and start looking like Jesus. It's about don't give up the junk of this world and just grab a hold of the power, the transforming power that the gospel has given you. That's what he's talking about. It's this, it's this idea of metamorphosis. I talked about, I had a nail and I said, you could, you could try to pound this nail into the form of a cross or you can melt it down and pour it into a mold that looks like a cross. That's what Jesus wants to do to you. He wants to melt you down and pour you into a mold that looks like him. But guys, one of the things that we, we so last week we were really focused on this idea of how do you live as a worshiper? This week we're talking about how do we live as a worshiper. I, I'm glad we walked through that process of letting go of and then renewing our mind, grabbing hold of what's good and right and pure and lovely and true. I'm glad we did it the way we did it. But here's, here's as I was talking to some people after church on Sunday and as I've been praying about it this week, one of the weaknesses to the way we did it last week, which if you remember, it was a very private thing. 
Like I had you guys actually hide your card that you were writing on, right? So that you could feel, for, and, I, and I think there's a place for that. Because we, we do have to have some spaces where we can actually, it can just be between us and the Lord. And, and if I believe that if I had asked you to do this at home on your own, most of you would have actually done it. I would have just had you do it at home and not here. But I know that most of you won't do what I ask you to do at home, so I was going to make you do it here last week. So, but, so I wanted to give you that space and that freedom. But at the same time, guys, these, that, that process of letting go and grabbing hold is not a purely private matter. It is meant to be shared. You are you, your life, the good and the bad of it are meant to be shared in community. First and foremost with your family, but then with the family of God. So look at your second talking points question. It says, James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. He's saying, guys, like during our prayer time, we provide that we offer up that opportunity. He's saying, confess your struggles. Now, now, we often think of sin, and we're thinking of words like, well, you know, I looked at pornography this week, or, well, you know, I drank more than I got drunk, or, well, I, you know, fill in the blank. And, and if you're struggling with those issues, I would certainly encourage you to find a brother or sister in Christ or brothers and sisters in Christ that you can confess those sins to. But guys, sins can also look like I spent way too much of my week this week worried about what's going on in Washington, D.C. Or I spent way too much of, this, of my week this week worried about what my bank account looked like. Or I spent way too much of my time this week thinking about or worried about or struggling with or living fear in a health issue that I have. Right? Like those are sins as well. That, those are all like the lies that, are, that we are dwelling on that by definition makes them a sin. So he's saying confess those, not just the acts, the behaviors, but even the internal, like the things that you're wrestling with. Confess them, not just to him, he says to one another. The Apostle John, the Apostle John says the same thing in 1 John 1. I already referenced that. And Jesus is pretty clear, guys about this idea of a corporate act of confession and how he feels about the religious people who would never risk sharing their weakness with God's people. Right? He has, the, the, guys, understand this. The only people that Jesus is harsh to are the religious people. Let that sink in a little bit. He was not harsh to the tax collector. He was not harsh to the adulterer. He was not harsh to um, the prostitute. He was not harsh to the LBGTQ community. He was not harsh to the people that don't vote like him. He was not harsh to the only people he was harsh to are the religious people. The people that said they knew God and were living this self-righteous life. Like, those are the people that he's antagonist towards, and we don't want to be those people. So, here's the two questions, and we're going to talk about these. So, why do, we struggle, um, why do we struggle so to be open and honest about our struggles, about our lies, about why, why um, I'm sorry, about our lies and, um, that we have come to believe? So, why do we struggle to be open and sharing? I'm asking. What's that? We're weak. What do you mean by that? Okay, we're weak, we're prideful, good. What? 
We don't want to be seen as weak. Good. What else? What? Shame. Huge one. We're going to come back to that one in a few minutes. But, but shame is a huge one. We just feel like, like the enemy has convinced us, man, you better not ever tell anybody. You're the only one who struggles with this issue. You're like, like those are the kinds of things we hear all the time from him. And they're lies from the pit of hell. What else? Guilt. Good. Fear of judgment. Fear of having to change. So we'll come back to Chloe's here in a minute. So fear, so guilt, fear of having to change. Like if I actually confess this thing, then I might have some accountability in my life. And then they might actually ask me, so how are you doing in that area? And maybe, maybe it's something that I'm feeling bad about in the moment, but I'm not feeling so bad about it that I actually want to just let go of it altogether. Because I might want to come back to that idol later. Right? Like anybody else str- wrestle with my struggle? Embarrassment, which goes back to the pride and, and the... Um, and, and just the, the fear that we have. But I want to come back to what Chloe said in this, um, what did you say, Chloe? Fear the fear of judgment. Here's why. Because, because all, like, a lot of what was already shared, which was spot on, has to do with our own internal struggles. And, 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 we, and, and the only solution to that is to go back to verse 2. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Those internal struggles are the pattern of this world. The way we medicate ourselves in a, in a variety of ways, some of which have nothing to do with medication, the way we medicate ourselves to get over ourselves um, is, the, is the conforming to the world. The transforming part is when we grab a hold of the truth of God's word and replace all of those lies. Right Now, that's, that's all the internal stuff. What Chloe's talking about, though, is what are we doing to provide a place of grace? Like, what are we doing so that, so that at least some of those fears, like fears of being judged, right, they, they would be diminished because we're not judging. We're, we're bringing in, we're accepting, we're praying for, we're caring about, we're bearing one another's burdens. All the things that the one another's tell us we're supposed to be doing, right? We hide out, guys, we hide our, our struggles out the same, for the same reason Adam and Eve did in Genesis chapter 3, and I talk about that a lot here, because the enemy shamed them, so they ran from God. And the enemy is constantly trying to shame us so that we'll not only run from God, but we'll run from one another. And that's the second part of the question. So how can we grow as a place of grace and invite, and invite more transparency so more freedom is found how do we do that here and how do you do that in your own relationship with the spouse you're sitting next to with the people that you're that you're in relationship with how do you grow like like the the acceptance the ability grace how do you do that remember that jesus did that you remember the scene where, um, where, the, where he gets invited to the Pharisee's home, and the woman, the sinner, Mary Magdalene, more than likely, was the one that, was the, was the one that comes in and anoints his feet with her tears. And the, and the religious one is like, oh, man, this, if Jesus knew who this person was, she, he would never let her touch him. And he looks at that. He, he doesn't look at her. He looks at, I mean, he does, eventually looks at her, and he forgives her, and he says, you know what, my grace is sufficient. My, I, I love you. Right? But he looks at the Pharisee, and he says, you're the problem, right? Because he has forgotten the very grace that was supposed to invite him into the presence of God, that made him, the, a, that was supposed to make him one of God's people. What else? What's that? 
fruits of the Spirit. So how did the fruits of the Spirit create that, Mo? Like, why don't you say that? Okay. So we're trying to replace, like, the deeds of the flesh, or he called them the seven deadly sins, right? This, the deeds of the flesh are evident, they are, in Matthew 5. But he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. And he's saying, you want to replace those things. So, I, like, how often are you praying through those things? How often are we saying, hey, would... Would the environment that if somebody walked out of here in, in 30 minutes from now, if somebody walked out of here, would they say what, what I felt in this place was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Was that what they would say they would feel? Because that's the Spirit. That is the presence of the Spirit. Any others? Sharing our testimony. How does sharing our testimony help? So rich, so stuff you hear. So by sharing the grace we've received in our own struggles, it will encourage other people. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. He says, the, or 2 Corinthians, the comfort that he's given us, he's given to us so that we would comfort other people. Right? It's like that's, he's made us comfort. He comforts us not to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters, to share that. To say, because, because, again, remember, one of the reasons we don't share is because the enemy has convinced us, I am the only one who thinks this way. I am the only one who's struggling with this. And that is simply not true. And the Holy Spirit will connect you with people who not only will invite you into a conversation, but they'll go, hey, I've struggled with that in the past. I'm struggling with that now. And here's how the Lord is giving me victory. Like, that's ultimately what the beauty of the body of Christ I wrote down a couple of things like we, we sh- like as we're talking to people as much as we can don't should them well you should not think that way like guys if you're married or you're getting married or you want to get married someday something you should never ever say to your spouse is you should not think that way you should not feel that way you don't we should each other all the time you should just do this. You shouldn't do that. It, it, it very much belittles, demeans, and, and way oversimplifies the issue. Much better to ask questions. Why are you feeling that way? What are you thinking? What led you to that thought? Right, like, like, and then ask the second question. We, all, we talked about that at our leadership team. So yesterday we talked about, like, we often will walk by and go, hey, so, hey, Bob, how are you doing today? I'm tired, I'm busy, I'm like, risk asking the second question. So, so what is it that got you tired today? Right? What is it that's going on in your life that's made you so busy? Because that invites a conversation. That's where the Holy Spirit can do the work when we're willing to. But guys, all of that is implying, or, is, or at least or it, it requires, that we actually care about people. Honestly, and that goes back to what Teresa said. We have to be reminded that Jesus actually cared about people. And that brings us to our second point. So how do we worship together? One, the first thing was we, we live our transformed lives, right? And part of that is just being more open and honest. And the other is we, are, we do that united together. Now look at the next couple verses. So in verses 3 through 5, look at verse 3. He says, for by the grace given to me, 
I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think, but, but to think with a sober judgment. That just means um, with clarity of thought, so to rightly be thinking about yourself, to use a good lens, each according to the measure of faith. That's just a, a way of saying a gi- the gift of grace that he's been given or that has been assigned to him. Isn't it interesting that in verses 1 and 2, Paul says, die to self, live for God. And the very next thought in his head is, and do it with humility. Because he knows who we are. Because he knows who he is. Our tendency is to, be, is to grow into self-righteousness. And he's saying, no, don't think highly of yourself. Be humble. Like, that humbleness is what will bring people together. Nobody wants to hang out with an arrogant person. Nobody wants to, yeah, nobody wants to be with a know-it-all it's, who always wants to do the talking and never wants to listen. He's saying in humility, embrace other people. Invite them in. Guys, this is an area that, frankly, I struggle with. I mean, I struggle with this a lot, actually, because I, I want, I, I get myself wrapped up in my, in my own schedule, my own life. I don't want to take the time. I don't, and then, frankly, my tendency is to just kind of go, is to should you. As you go, well, just stop doing that. Come on, man. Like, when are you going to stop being so, so not very smart for the young people in the room, right? But we tend to be that way. Jesus tells us to be different. Keep your finger in Romans and go to 1 John. 1 John is to the right of where we are. It's almost the end of your Bible. Look at 1 John chapter 3. So it's, it's right before Revelation. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. Back up. You're going to get past those, first, those little letters of 2nd and 3rd John. 1st John chapter 3, and I'm going, to, I'm going to start in verse 10. And he says, because this, this ought to convict us. It says, but this is evident that you are children of God and that you are children of the, and this is evident that you are the children of the God and, and those who are children of the devil. So he's saying it becomes evident which kingdom you belong to. And here's how. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who, nor is the one who does not love his brother or his family member. Meaning, and he's talking spiritually, so does not love the household of God. He's saying, so here's how you know you're not in the kingdom of God. You're not practicing righteousness, you're not living like Christ, and you're not loving the church, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now look, he keeps going. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brothers, or brothers and sisters, because, we're, because we love being around kingdom people. Whoever does not love being around kingdom people abides in death. He's in the other kingdom, the kingdom that's dying. Verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. It goes back to what Teresa was sharing. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. We ought to serve one another. We're going to go into our resurrection season. Um, We're going to spend three weeks looking at, I'm starting next week, and we're going to look at John 13 and how Jesus got down on his knees and washed his disciples' feet as an example for us not to be foot washers. We're not washing each other's feet next Sunday. Not that that's good or bad. It's just that wasn't his point. It's to humbly, it's it's what Paul's telling us, to humbly serve your brother or sister because you think more of them than you do of yourself. If he did it, we should do it. 
Then he says in verse 17, But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not just love in word and talk. Let's not just say love you, brother, but let's do it in deed and truth. So how do we do that? Well, Paul's going to tell us. It's in Romans. Go back to Romans and look at verses 4 and 5. This is how we live together in unity. He's saying, first of all, it starts with being humble. And then he goes on and he says, because we are one body, just, or just as one body, he's talking about a physical body, just as one body has many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So he's saying, just like in your physical body, he goes into this, and this is one of your daily readings this week in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the, the physical, he uses the analogy of the body of Christ in a physical body. So he's saying, you're not all a hand, you're not all a foot, you're not all a nose, we're all different parts. He's saying the same thing here, just a shorter version of it. And then he says in verse 5, so, so we, likewise, we, the church, though many, many people make up the body of Christ, we are one body and individually members of it. Guys, the local individual church is a supernatural entity. It is fit together by the Spirit of God. When you got saved, when you came to faith, when you were born again, you were, you were drawn, you were, you were called out of the darkness into the light, you were saved from judgment and into the family of God. And, and what the Bible makes clear in passages like, like Jeff read this morning in our calling, Ephesians chapter 1, or Ephesians chapter 4, is he makes clear that you're specifically placed by the Spirit into the body where the Spirit wants you functioning, where he wants your body part working, is what it amounts to. Guys, what COVID, here's what COVID did to us, and I don't just mean us cross I mean us, the body of Christ. It did not create the lone wolf Christian. Those people were already out there. Here's what it did. It gave people uh, the, the space to step out of the body and then to start to, feel start to feel comfortable about the fact that they think they can worship Christ all on their own. And guys, that is not a, I know I'm, I'm literally speaking to the choir here because you're here this morning, but there are many of us that are not here this morning for different reasons, and you need to call every one of them that you know and say, you were made for relationship. You were made to be connected. So if you're not connected, it doesn't mean they have to be connected here, but they need to be connected somewhere. Because that's why they were saved, sealed, gifted, and placed. And that's ultimately what Paul's talking about. So look at our last talking points question. If membership in the body is defined biblically as using your spiritual gifting in the faith family, and guys, that's not negotiable. I don't have time to go into it all right now. I have taught this before. There is no place in Scripture for the lone Christian. For the person that's just going, I'm just down with Jesus and I'm not into church. That is a wholly unbiblical way of thinking. And we need to approach them with love and grace. We need to, we need to show them what, scripture, what the truth of God's word says. And then we just need to remind them that, that you're here, specifically here, not just here, but like here on this planet, to, to reveal the glory of God. And you can't fully do that on your own. It's not possible. Because you're just a nose. Or you're just a lung. So you can show the world the part of Jesus that's a lung. But that isn't very beautiful. 
right? The beauty is when we're together, all the pieces fitting together. And people go, it makes no sense that these people are together except that the Spirit did it. Like, that's the point. So it says, um, he has put you in. Um, he, so, so, so he's, you serve the faith family that he's put you in. How are you connected to the body of Christ? Now, one, we have like your, ins, your, your, um, your bulletin had an insert in it called the Connect Card. If you've never filled one of these out, I really want to encourage you to fill this out if, if this is a place you've called your church home. Just fill it out, put it in the offering box on your way out the door. We, we don't put you on a mailing list. We're just saying this is our way of knowing who's of us because who's part of the body. And, then, and it's also our way of helping you connect in a way that, like, to say, okay, let's help, let's help work together to figure out what body part you are and how that fits into the body here at Crosstrain. And that leads to a couple of other handouts. So one of them is, um, they're, they're available, they're, they're on a table over here, they're on the table out in the kitchen, they're also out on the connect table as you go out the door. But if, you've, if you do not, because I'm, I'm, now I'm speaking to the people that are going, okay, Doug, I, I'm, I'm starting to get, maybe for the first time, maybe in a long time, I'm getting what you're, I'm, I'm getting what you're talking about. I understand that, that I am not using my gifting, my body part, to serve the body of Christ. I don't know what my body part is. This will help you with that. It's called Discovering Your Spiritual Giftedness, and it walks you through. I'm just going to read you the first paragraph. It says, it, and again, this is these handouts. I know you can't read that. These handouts are available. You grab one. It says, many of us have heard of spiritual giftedness, but we have not, we're not quite sure we understand it. A spiritual gifting is a special ability given by the Holy Spirit to every believer at their conversion and to be used to minister to others and build up the body of Christ. And then it goes on, and in the middle of this handout, it just has a list of some of the spiritual gifts. Not all of them. I mean, God is multifaceted. That means the Holy Spirit is multifaceted. That means there are, the gifts are manifold, like there are multifaceted but it walks you through here are some of the here are some of the most common then on the back side of it it talks about here's some other ways you can start to discern what gifting you might have what body part you are and then the last thing is it says and the most important part is how do you so, so what do i do how do i really figure out what body part i am the best thing to do is to plug into a body and start using the one you think you are and you'll know pretty rapidly if this is you or not like, if, if you're not a gift of hospitality person, then serving in, in the hospitality ministry, getting communion ready, passing out, greeting people at the door for the, um, for the connector's team, like, you'll realize, like, this is not my thing. Like, I'm not good at that. But, you're, but God is, if you're saved, God has made you good at some things. The goal is to figure out what. And, and the best thing to do is to just engage and start talking to people in the church. About, hey, do you, think I, do you think I'd be good at this? What do you think about that? And, and see what they say. That's by far the best way. And then the last thing becomes, okay, so now I'm figuring out what my body part is. I'm figuring out that I'm a foot, but now I don't know where to use the foot. Well, there's another handout, again, on all the tables. It's called, Where Can I Fit? And all it is, is it's got, it's, it just says, um, what part are you playing? What part of the body of Christ are you playing? The whole body suffers if your part is missing. Because this is the part of the spiritual gifts. We get very caught up, and I'm not even teaching on the gifts today, on purpose. Because it's not Paul's point, and we'll see that in just a minute. We get so caught up in what the gifts are, 
which you need to do some work to figure that out for you. But then we forget the main point. The main point is where is it plugged into the body? The point of the gifting is to show him off. It's not to fill a need in the local church. But the local church cannot show him off fully unless you're fitting, like you're doing your part in the body. We're like, we're, if, if, if we only have one foot here and you're a foot, but you won't connect to the body, then we're like a church that's just hopping around all the time. Going, hey, we got to get this done over here. Let's go. Okay, let's go over here. How about if you just exercise your giftedness so we can walk around a little better? That's the, that's the game, right? That, that's the point. So that as we walk around better, we are glorifying him more. That's, guys, if you're serving and not, and not to the end of God's glory, then, then you're not serving for the purpose he's given you. So all that to say, um, look at, get those handouts, and that brings us to our last point. And we're going to start to land this plane, believe it or not. So are you ready to worship together? First of all, you have to, you have to get, we, we, when I say you, I mean me too. We have to get better, but you individually has to get better at letting go and grabbing a hold. Letting go of what's of less worth so you can grab a hold of the glory of Christ. Right? That was verses 1 and 2. The second thing is you have to be committed to doing it together, to being connected. And the last thing is you have to be willing to accept the fact that not everybody's like you. Like, Because the, the point, Paul, is remember where he started in verse 3? He said, don't consider any, don't, don't you consider yourself better than those people. The problem is what we do with the giftings, and he, and he hits us really hard in 1 Corinthians because they made a mess of the gifts, is he says, we start comparing ourselves. My body part is more important than your body part. Guys, I genuinely do not believe that. For me, my gifting is leadership administration. I think the, the Lord gifts me or allows me to teach. But I don't believe that gifting is any more important than the gift of service that a Sean Simpson has or the gift of hospitality that the Morris family has. Or, like, I, I genuinely don't believe that. I, I, I think that because without them, there's no opportunity for this. So your body part is important. The question is, are you practicing it? And, and so he's going to list. So, so look at verse 6. He says, having gifts that differ. So, so we're different according to, the grace, according to the grace given to us. So this gift of grace that was given to us, let us use them. So, guys, the point he's making here is, the get, now he's gonna, and then he's going to list some of them. He's just listing examples. Some people, and, I've, and I have been taught under this teaching, where they're like, these are the gifts, figure out which of these gifts there are, and that's it. And I'm like, yeah, that's not Paul's point. Paul is just saying, hey, figure out what your gift is. Use it for the body of Christ. Use it humbly. And then he's like, for example, if your gift is service, or if your gift is prophecy, in proportion to your faith, if it's service, serve. But he's saying, we're all different. Guys, the problem in the church today is we huddle up around people that look and act and are gifted just like us. Like, so a whole bunch of feet gather around together. A whole bunch of noses gather around together. Why, why do we do that? We've talked about this before in other contexts. Why do, we get, why do churches gather around people that look and act and think just like them? It's comfortable. We're, we are more comfortable with people. They don't annoy us. 
Like if everybody just loved the Word of God and teaching the Word of God and, and learning how to teach the Word of God the way I do, I would have so much more fun because I wouldn't be fighting you people. At the same time, that would not be healthy for us or for me because I need to be reminded, oh, I, I need to serve too. I need to be hospitable too. I need to pray too. I need to, like, and, you know, and the way I get reminded of that best is when you're gifted that way and you push against me. We need that, like, that friction of the, of the that's why we have to, because we, we want to be a place that doesn't just accept that we're doing, all right, I guess I got to put up with you people. Like, seriously, you know, I, I know I'm the body of Christ and I got to put up. No, we need to be a place that embraces the differences. That says, man, I need this, we need your body part. As frustrating and as uncomfortable and as whatever as I might think it is, as you might think it is with somebody else, you, to, to train your mind to go, but I know I need that in my life. I need that voice. I need that person. I need that pressure because it will make me a better version of Christ. And oh, by the way, it'll make us the body. Only together can we be the body of Christ. So he starts listing these gifts, but they're just examples. If, so verse 7, if service and you're serving and teaching, if, if your gift is teaching, then you're teaching. If you exhort in your exhortation, if you contribute or you give, then give generously. If you lead with zeal or take it seriously. And, and, and then he says, and one who has, does acts of mercy, do it cheerfully. Again, he's saying, guys, we are, his main point is we're all different. Embrace the differences. But he has one other point, and it's all the way, it's back up in verse 6. Having the gifts that differ. So he's saying we're all different. Use them. That's a command. This is where we're going to finish up. Turn to Luke chapter 19. Because I was, you know, I've, I've taught on the gifts before. I've taught on the need for the use of the gifts before. I, I, it, is, it is so hard to encourage people to take seriously the gifting that they've been given and the need to plug it into a local community, the, the need to use it for the kingdom of God. So I thought, well, rather than me try to explain how important it is, better, let's let Jesus explain how important it is. Guys, knowing your gifting and using your gifting in the kingdom of God, in the church, is not optional for a Christian. How do I know? Let me read. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 11. As they heard these things, and these things are Jesus had been teaching about the coming kingdom and, and about what it looks like to serve the kingdom. He finishes up there. He says, I, I came to seek and save that which is lost. And he says, as they heard these things about the kingdom expansion, he proceeded to tell a parable because, because he was near Jerusalem and because he, they supposed that the kingdom of God was appear, would appear immediately. And he said to them, no, 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 it's not going to appear immediately. This is, this is similar to what he talks about in Matthew chapter 25, which is where he's talking about like the, the, what happens after he leaves before he comes again. He says, A nobleman went away to a far country and received for him to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Who's the nobleman? A nobleman leaves to receive a kingdom, and then he's planning on coming back. Who's the nobleman in the story? Jesus, Jesus is. Thank you. Then he says, Call, Calling ten of his servants people that are in the kingdom, supposedly, he gave them ten minas. Minas was a three, three months' wage. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. That was the reason the gift was given, to engage in kingdom business. 
But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we, do not want, we, don't want, we don't want this man to reign over us. That's the world rejecting Christ. Then he returned, having received the kingdom. So this is his second coming. He ordered the servants to, to whom he had given the money. To, and he called them and he said and he said he might know what, how they, like what they did for the kingdom in doing kingdom business. Verse 16. The first came and said, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. So he took the gift he was given and he doubled it. And it says, and, and, and Jesus says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been faithful with very little, you will have authority over ten cities in the, com- in the kingdom to come. The second came and said, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he says to him, you are over five cities. Then another came to him saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. He hid it. Right? It's the Matthew 5, you are the light of the world, but if you, but if you are the light of the world, but you, you don't hide a light under a basket. You put it on a hilltop so it will shine. If you're not using, he, the point he's making here now, Jesus is making, not Doug, Jesus. If you're not using your giftedness in the body of Christ, you are hiding his glory. And he does not Take that lightly. It says, I hid it in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man, that you take what you did not deposit, and you reap what you did not sow. He had a gift. He didn't use the gift, because he was afraid. He didn't really know the giver. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have at least collected interest on it? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas already. Verse 26, I tell you that everyone who has come, that everyone who has, more will be given. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken from him. Guys, this is Jesus speaking. This is not Paul. This is not Doug. This is not some pastor at some church just trying to, we're not, I'm not, I'm not, guys, I love how our church is organized. Our church is organized in a way that says, like, I'm the only staff member at the church by design, right? Because, because, and we've, and it's been that way since day one, because that design has been that way since day one, because we want the body of Christ exercising giftedness. We want you all, if, if things don't get done here, then we just don't do them. In other words, if, you don't, if, the, if the body of Christ doesn't do it, it doesn't get done. We just don't do the ministry. So we've had people, even, even recently, but, but, but we've had people throughout the years that they're like, well, we're going to go over here because this church has this ministry. And I'm like, well, that's wonderful. They also have 10 staff members. Why don't you bring that ministry here? Because I don't remember saying no when you asked me if you could. The, the problem was their thinking is wrong. Their thinking is, that's the church's job. Their thinking needs to be, we're the church. You're the church. Guys, when you, if you were saved, we're going to wrap this up. If you, were sa- if you were saved, you were given a gift of grace, and with that gift of grace comes, a, comes gifting. The, question, the only question on the table becomes, what are you going to do with it? Right? Like, like, are you going to use it? Are you, are you going to use it to worship? That's the question we're asking today. Are you ready to worship together? Are you ready to worship, to, to come together as the body of Christ? Use your gifting. Now, now here's the problem. So often, this is what happens. Guys, for, first of all, in order to do that, you have to be born again. 
So in a minute, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray for you guys that, that are not yet Christians. You can't use a spiritual gift if you're not spiritually alive. So first, the first thing is you have to be born of the Spirit. So I will pray for that. Because one of the lies we believe about that is I've got to get myself cleaned up before I can come and come to Christ. Coming to Christ is what will clean you up. Yeah, but here's the other thing. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, what we often think is, yeah, but, but I'm, I, I'm not ready to serve the body of Christ because I'm not mature enough. I don't know enough. My marriage is a mess. My family is, a, my family is crazy. I'm, my, my job is busy. My, like we just start filling in excuses. Here's, here's all I know, and I'm saying this. I'm not, there, no guilt here. I'm telling you with everything. I've watched it happen both directions where people have followed that line of reasoning to their own detriment and other ones who have said, all those things are true. I am not well-equipped. My marriage is a train wreck right now. I am, but I'm going to choose to work on those things as I engage in the body of Christ. Every one of those people has come out on those things way better off. Why? Because that's where God will work on you. You want your marriage to get better? Engage in the body of Christ. Together. You want your family to be stronger? You want your kids to not walk away? Guys, and kids, I'm talking to you. Paul's talking to you, gentlemen. Don't let someone look down on you because of your youth, but be an example. He says, make your mark on the body of Christ, guys. Right? He talks about fan into flames the gift that you've been given. Don't just sit back and do nothing. When you're looking around and there's stuff to be done, do it. I don't have time for that. I'm telling you, he will double back, just like he did for this here. I'm it, it is part of the walk. It is, it is a part that we have missed. It, we, we don't have a need here. I'm hoping you guys will respond to. I'm, there's, no, there's no, so here's our list of needs, and where are you going to put your name? There's none of that, guys. There's no guilt here. There's no shame here. I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not here to tell you where you have to serve or where we need you to serve. I desire, we desire that you would serve because that's how you'll be more Christ-like. It is in the engaging in the church that he matures you like no other place. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for that truth. I thank you for the truth that, that we are not only saved from judgment, but we are saved into the family of God. So I pray for those among us or those that are hearing my voice online um, Lord, I pray that you would remind us, um, remind, or, uh, that you today would remind them um, that the only way that they can really do anything that was just talked about would be for them to express their need. That you only work with people who know we're broken, who know we're messy, who know we need Jesus. So, so remind us of that. Lord, I, I do pray too that for those of us that are um, that are followers of Christ, but, but have struggled to really engage because, because just one life keeps happening and one thing after another keeps getting in the way. But I pray that we would just trust you to use what you have given us for your glory, that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and then we would just believe that all these things would be added unto you. Lord, I pray that, um, that in the end, not just here, but wherever your people are serving in your church, because this is your church, not ours, it would be for your glory alone. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.